0: This is real talk the customer insights show with jen vogel jen and her guests share valuable information to help you understand your customers better available wherever you listen to podcasts you can also ask alexa or siri to play real talk this episode is presented to you by vox pop me the leader in video surveys here's today's episode
1: hello insights professionals marketers and everyone who wants to understand their customers better Thank you for joining me for another Real Talk, the Customer Insights Show. We are live on a number of channels and the podcast version will be available wherever you listen to podcasts. Before we get started, I wanna do one last quick plug for the Virtual Insights Summit, which kicks off just over a week from today. If you haven't yet registered, you can do so at the link below to join a virtual event unlike any other you've experienced before. Okay, let's get to today's topic. Uh, We wanna talk about technology needs assessments. How do you stay ahead of the curve? Know what's worth using and what isn't? That's certainly a question top of mind for many of us in the insights and experience management space. So today we are joined by Kari Campbell, a research and innovation executive with a leading global cosmetics company. Kari is an experienced insights executive and has led cross-functional teams to use insights to drive customer understanding. He continuously focuses on using the best technology platforms available to help him reach his goals. Let's find out how he does that. Welcome to today's episode, Kari.
0: And thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, really happy to have you today. Um, so to kick us off, a question that I like to ask all of my guests at the start of the show. Um, from your experience, how has the role of customer insights or consumer insights evolved in companies recently?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. I think fundamentally it hasn't changed. The fundamentals have always been there. I think those of us who are... Um, more deeply part of consumer insights or customer insights and learning. We've kind of been waving this flag for a very long time. I think what you're saying now, though, that more eyes are looking for proactively uh, those insights from the consumers or their customers. They are, I think, more deeply recognizing the value that it can bring and where it's, it can be a great input into decisions that need to be made, right? And so I think you see a lot of uh, companies and places that where it's about being consumer first or consumer centricity. Um, it's really about putting your consumer right at the center of decisions that are being made. Um, but I think the important part is people are also finding that balance of it's uh, consumer first but not consumer only. Mm-hmm. And so incredibly important um, input and consideration. And everything needs to be done with your consumer customer in mind but you have to complement with other factors to to make the uh the best decisions moving forward. So I think the fundamentals have always been there. There are just more eyes that are are recognizing the value, I think.
1: Yeah. What do you attribute that to? Why why are there more eyes today than there were, you know, I don't know, a year ago, two years ago.
0: Yeah, I think um part of it is sort of what we'll talk about today is the technology. It's mm. it's easier to have um, connections with your consumers but Mm -hmm. it's also easier for consumers to have access to things about the different companies or products or services it's easier for them to share their feedback Mm -hmm. and so when you've had that kind of uh that lane of communication open up both ways there's going to be more interest Um, i think also what you're finding is that gone are the days where there's only one mode of communication so whether it's advertising through a commercial or, you know, it might be print ads, it's put out a product or service and people can go to it and there's not much feedback coming there. Now it's just wide open. Right. Mm-hmm. And so as you're putting something new out there in, into uh, the marketplace and into the environment, uh, you constantly want to know, okay, how well does this mean? Expectations uh, are useful. Are we doing the right thing here with our consumers? And so I think, the technology in a lot of cases has ramped up uh, the need to have that assessment and that needs to be able to connect with consumers. Um, so I think that's one of the that's actually led to that, that acceleration there.
1: Yeah, I can totally see that. And even just, um, you know, technology outside of the research space, just like social media and things like that, like, if I don't have a a clear method of giving my feedback about something, like, I'll probably just Tag the company on Twitter and give my feedback somewhere. <laughs>
0: right, right. It's, it's going to happen. And you know what? It's also, um, I, I think, as businesses, especially those that have matured, right? And so you have a lot of companies that are, are very mature, they're, they're very seasoned, and they're in that cycle of their business where it's, we, we're not going to differentiate from product to product in a lot of cases. The difference is actually going to be in our connection to our consumers. And so in order to deepen that connection, you really need to go deep on, on understanding what your consumers are looking for, what their desires are, what they want, what they don't want. Um, because now you're getting away from, in some cases, here's a product. And when you get to a place where products are, are not having a place where they can be greatly differentiated, that differentiator is going to be your connection with your consumer, your understanding of your consumer. How well can you anticipate what they're going to be looking for next? And so... I think that along with it has also accelerated it.
1: You've uh, led and built high-performing teams and rebuilt high-performing teams. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your philosophy when it comes to teams that perform?
0: Yeah, so the, I think the, the interesting thing and the important thing about high-performing teams is that the byproduct of that is gonna be amazing work, mm-hmm. right? So a lot of times when you have teams or you're leading those teams, uh, you, what you put at the forefront is what you want to accomplish. We want to hit this goal. We want to have this outcome. We want to produce this thing that we can measure at the end of the year or, what, or whatever your, your cycle is. But what I found is that actually when you focus on creating a high-performing team, those things are going to naturally come, right? It's 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 through having that shared consciousness and understanding of what is our purpose, what are our goals, and in those things that we can measure, they're going to be a byproduct of that. Versus if you really approach everything from, okay, here are the metrics we're going to measure. This is when we're going to measure it. Now we're going to get after it. But you haven't spent time to really identify what's going to make that team a high-performing team mm-hmm. and what's going to make that team uh, gel together. Uh, then more times than not, you're not going to reach those goals. You're not going to reach those metrics. And then you're going to find your place of, I'd say declining morale because not only did you not spend the time to create a high performing team environment, you're also not meeting those metrics and measurements that you started with at the beginning. And you're gonna start a pretty um, pretty vicious cycle that's gonna be hard to break out of.
1: That's some of the like intangible stuff. Like, I mean, it's it's a lot easier. I mean, we talk about this all the time. Like it's easy to have the metrics in place and measure them, but the intangible stuff that ultimately does lead to those improvements in metrics or to that success, that goal that you're setting out as a team. But it's a lot harder to, you know, how do you know? I guess when you're when you're hitting the mark, is it it comes out in the metrics, but it's not the driving force.
0: It will come out in the metrics, but it's it's really going to come out in the actions and the behaviors of your team, right? And for me, where it first started to click. Um, I joined a disruptive innovation team uh, earlier in my career uh, during my time at General Mills. And one of the things they told us is, "Okay, disruptive innovation, right? The buzzword that's going around. But they said, we're going to give you a different business model and we don't want you to bring us another cereal in a box. Other than that, free to kind of create new approaches, new methods, new ways we assess it. And what happened is the cross-functional team I worked with within, so I was our consumer insights lead. Then you had kind of your, you know, your brand manager, your finance, your R&D, a lot of your other functions. And what we realized is that we had to operate outside of our titles. And so the things that were, let's say, putting together a research plan, yes, I have the background and the expertise. And you say the consumer insights guy is gonna own that. And then you say from working on whatever the budget is going to be, understanding your margins when you're going to go to launch, how you're going to scale this up, that's the finance person, right? And that's natural. That's what you expect. But what we found as a team, in order to get things accomplished in that environment where we're creating new, you know, we're working with different guidelines, we had to assume each other's kind of responsibilities in a lot Mm -hmm. of places. And so our behaviors changed. It was no longer a conversation of, I don't know. We have to wait for our finance person to do that to, you know, I know they're busy with something else. How about we get together, take our best shot at it and yet we'll give it a caveat. We have to double check this with this person. But we think this is what's going to be next or we think this is going to be the answer to your question. And what we realize is we kind of forgot our titles and we forgot what our backgrounds are supposed to be. And we start to operate truly as a team with one shared consciousness. Uh, we were very clear on what our goals were to accomplish as a team from a purpose standpoint. And we knew in order to get there, we needed to operate very differently than we we had uh, in the past in the more mm. traditional teams. And so, yes, the outcomes we were able to see products and concepts we were able to, to uh, develop. Certainly we can see the products that we launched and you can measure them in the marketplace. But I think the thing that was truly differentiating for us is we were able to see our behaviors change on a day-to-day basis. That, to me, was a true hallmark um, that we we're operating differently and that we we're becoming a high-performing team.
1: That's really exciting, actually. I love hearing, like, I, I can just imagine the, um, you know, The diverse way of thinking of getting somebody who's not a researcher to design a research plan or someone who's not a marketer to work on something that the brand manager might do like i know just from my own experience when some of the best ideas that we get on the vox pop me marketing team Come from outside the team. Somebody will call us up and say, "Hey, have you thought about doing something like this?" And it's like, "Well, that's a great idea." You know, people just have different experiences in different roles and can bring um, different types of thinking. So, so to have like a team that's actually designed around doing that is really cool.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's the power of uh, diversity of thought and experiences, mm-hmm. right? You can really open up yourself to a lot of new possibilities and really challenge yourself to um, things that you can do that you previously did not think you can do. And I think to get there, you have to understand the value of having that high performing team, Um, but also there's a mindset that's gonna help create that. And that's, you'll hear a lot about fixed mindset versus growth mindset. You honestly have to be able to adapt and, and live with having a growth mindset of constantly learning and actually constantly admitting i don't know this so i'm going to learn about it versus saying you know i don't know this so i'm going to stay away and wait till the person who does know this is the one to do it right and so that's like the example i gave you it's like yes i don't know this as well as the finance lead yet and i may never know it as well as them and you know i don't need to but i'm willing to go and uh, learn what i can about it and how i can keep things moving along and i'm going to depend on my other teammates to help me as well because we're all curious to see okay how can i do this how can i answer this question how can i lead this in the right direction and vice versa If, if i were tied up with something um my brand manager and the r d lead might say hey you know what we're not the consumer insights expert but we understand what we're trying to accomplish as a team and so i'm not the expert yet but I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to try. And I'm willing to, you know, kind of fall on my face at times saying, you know, I tried, but I didn't get it right. That's okay. Because as soon as I became available, I would then help and share with them. you know, you, you got 90% of it. This is the other thing I might have done. And then they're like, okay, so when I counted this next week, I'm I'm not going to need to follow up with you as much before. So yeah. there's there's a part where that mindset has to come then you create that kind of shared consciousness as a team. And then, like I said, you'll, you'll see behaviors change. And then uh, the metrics and the measurements will be a byproduct of that.
1: Yeah, that level of collaboration is so powerful. And so how does it um, do fit in to building those high-performing teams?
0: Yeah, technology is, is absolutely an enabler um, and sometimes an illuminator right? And so mm-hmm. I'll say an enabler because sometimes it's as simple as being able to connect um, with your teammate or um, observe what your consumers are doing. And technology is unlocking new doors to do that on a on a daily basis, right? With uh, the advent of things taking place in social media, um, different ways for people to uh, engage, to shop, to talk, to provide feedback. Um, technology is a, a great connector in that way. And so it's, it absolutely creates those connections with consumers and customers. It uh, absolutely creates opportunities for you to uh, collaborate with your team like never before, right? Mm-hmm. I think what we're seeing now, especially from from uh, COVID, is teams are working globally in a more seamless way than ever before, mm-hmm. right? Before, where you say, and not to say it's still not ideal, you know, it's it's there's things that you can't replicate from being in person but we're no longer looking as a barrier. We're saying, okay, there are some great technologies that can help us collaborate as a team as if we are in the room. There's great ways to share this information in a, in a near seamless process in a way to help uh, carry on the business the way we need to. And so technology absolutely enables that. And I also say it illuminates because there are things that we can do in the preview, uh because sometimes illumination has to come from speaking with more people than you can physically do in person in a shorter period of time. Um, Physically speaking to people in, let's say, five different cities or five different countries, you just physically couldn't do it in, let's say, a a one-week period. Or you could, but you never slept. And then you have to question the value of what you learned because you don't know what's coming or what's going. But it it, uh, helps illuminate because it gives you access to more quicker. And so it's just on our end where we have to be more choiceful and a lot smarter on um not overindulging because it's available, we can, you still have mm-hmm. to practice discipline of what's the right thing to look at, assess, listen to, understand.
1: Yeah. That that piece of it is probably really challenging because there is no shortage of data, right? Like <laughs> you can access it at you know, at our fingertips at all times and there are so many different ways that we can connect with people now i i I can imagine like being very disciplined and not just capturing everything all the time is is a big challenge
0: yeah, absolutely i mean, I, I read a piece just this morning from uh someone I consider a mentor of mines uh video them ready. He's at Mars currently, but uh, I met him first when I joined General Mills. And he wrote a piece today and he said, there's so much information out there and data come our ways. And you have to be very disciplined upfront to say, what exactly do I want to learn and do? And then kind of reverse engineer your way into, okay, therefore, what data points am I going to pay attention to? Uh, What resources am I going to deploy? Because when you start at the forefront of saying, okay, I can get all this data and especially when you may have the resources, you know, the money to do that, it becomes much more complicated on the back end because then you're cutting through so much noise and identifying what's going to move the needle, what's not going to move the needle, what's effective, what's not effective, um, that you can really become, you can really get lost and in, in, in not find a clear picture and a clear path forward. And that goes against what I said before is where technology can really illuminate. Um, you can also turn the lights out on yourself by just having uh, too much information, too much data coming at you,
1: yeah, totally. <laughs> I love that you can just turn the lights out,
0: <laughs> yeah you
1: can <laughs> on a previous episode, we were talking to brenna Ivy and um uh from Wayfair, and she described it as you know you can you can be like casting a wide net fishing, you know if you don't have if you don't know what question you're trying to answer. If you just pinpoint what question you're trying to answer first, it's like spearfishing as opposed to casting that wide net because there is so much noise to cut through. And there's probably some value in that, right? There's nuggets in there, but you've got to have like kind of a clear, um, a clear guide knowing what you're trying to solve for.
0: Yeah, it it reminds me of, and I might be paraphrasing it incorrectly, but there's a Einstein quote. And it's somewhere along the lines, if I had a problem, and I had an hour to figure it out, I'd spend 55 minutes figuring out the right question to ask and then five minutes solving it. And it's it's kind of to, to her point is, get really good at asking the right questions. And then you start to understand, okay, it, it's gonna lead you down the path very quickly what you need to do, but spend, invest the time up front of asking the right questions and it could really cut out a lot of the noise for you.
1: Yeah, totally. And so um, you, You're kind of constantly assessing new technology in your insights work and in your teams. And how do you do that?
0: You know, it it becomes a group effort. It it does become a group effort. I think for me, um, I'm just a naturally curious person. And so as I come across new technologies or new applications or see things that others may be doing, um, my mind is, is constantly going to, okay, how could we? How could I apply this? How could I maybe use it? How could I use it differently? Um, What is maybe the value here versus things we're currently doing? And so it's just as I'm taking in new information, reading on new things, talking with people that just kind of clicks for me naturally. It's like, okay, how can we apply this? Um, But I think from there, I said it takes a team. You then have to uh, connect with other people to help you assess that. Um, recognize if it's going to be of value and, and really forge a path forward of how do you actually implement um, new technologies? Because uh, as much as technologies can help, um, they can absolutely disrupt your ecosystem as well, right? Yeah. Especially if it's not going to fit in with things that are already there and depended on, um, if it's going to create another or a differing uh, point of view of of information and perspective. Uh, Those are all things you have to be very mindful of. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, totally. And I know in my own experience in marketing, like there's no shortage of technology out there that we could possibly, well, most likely get value from. Um, So like, yeah, doing that evaluation and ensuring that it's not going to, like you said, disrupt your business or, you know, there's always the risk of, taking on too many new technologies at once and not being able to maximize any of them. Like, I I guess, like, what process do you follow? How do you kind of evaluate and determine that something is worth a a deeper assessment?
0: Yeah. Um, It's kind of a, a pilot process. It really is. Once I identify something or I want to learn more, I then start looking for people that are smarter than me. Right. It's, hey, you know, I know this person might have experience with something in this space, or they might know more than I know about this, or they may have done something similar. And so I start asking around and asking questions, whether that's um, kind of internally close to me or just people I've built connections with externally and picking their brain. Um, And I think once you do that, it's getting closer to that technology, whether it's reaching out directly to that technology partner and, and getting time with them to understand And I I think when you get to that stage, it's very important to not only take um, the information that's shared with you. And so typically most are going to come with a a pretty nice presentation and kind of a brochure and maybe some case studies, but really pushing it towards, okay, for for our needs in particular, here are some things I'm challenged with and really sharing what your problem is that you're trying to solve. Um, I find when you do that, it opens up a lot of new doors um, because you're not... At that point, you're bringing that potential partner into the conversation mm-hmm. to help build solutions together versus saying, you know, I'm just going to put you on the spot, show me the solutions you have, and I'll figure out whether or not I can fit it into the problem I have or the things I want to answer. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's it's about that for me. It's um, involving people that are smarter than I am in the area, in the space, um, connecting with people who I think or I believe have had some experience was just previously, um, connecting with the technology partner and, and inviting them to be part of the solution, saying, here's a thought I have, or here's a problem I'm facing, or here's what I'd like to accomplish. Is there a way we can do this with what you have or something you're maybe working on in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, I, th- I think it's about understanding how can we make this work? And to me, that's always through a piloting phase, it's starting small. It's starting with something where, okay, we're not going to spend um, a large amount of time and resources scoping out the perfect initial project. It's okay, let's start small. Here's, let's try this thing here. Um, What happens if we scale this down? Is it a light versus getting very clear on a few things? Get clear on what do you want to learn from it? Get very clear on how you're going to measure what that success is going to look like. And I think most of the things uh, Cause I think that's the other thing that can um, r- really stop progress is just spending in an ornament amount of time trying to perfect what the pilot is going to look like. And I think that's very counterproductive to what a, what a pilot can actually do for you. It can help you do a very quick assessment. It can help you uh, try things out and figure out quickly what's wrong, what's right. And what you want to do next time. Um, and it allows you to start building that communication with that, that partner, that technology partner.
1: Others in the space talk about <laughs> the difference between the language of using the word pilot versus using the word experiment, because there is something about the word pilot that people want to perfect it. Like there's mm. an expectation that a pilot is, is gonna work right? Whereas there's an expectation that an experiment may fail, and that that's okay. And you have some freedom there to try some different things and, and get creative and, um, and be collaborative with your partner. I love that you talked about, you know, sharing you to solve with whatever technology partner you're working with, because chances are, they've got other clients that have the same type of problem, and they might be solving it in a way that, you hadn't thought of or whatever. And so un- I think that really helps the technology providers too. I can speak for from our own experience, like understanding what what your big challenge is um can help us get creative instead of saying, here's the technology, you can do a bunch of cool stuff with it, you know, um, and actually like help you to get to that solution.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I love that perspective, the, the experimentation, absolutely. I think sometimes um, to your point, there can be a, ve- a very um, valuable difference between pilot and experimentation, especially depending on the, the culture you're, you're working with. Mm-hmm. But that's absolutely the, the path to the experimenting. Let's try it out. Let's prove it right or wrong. And then how do we pivot from that one? You know, how do we roll into the next experiment? Mm-hmm. Um, just because it, ain't, it didn't go right or the way you would have liked it to go the first time doesn't mean you should pull away. It's like, okay, well, what did we learn from that? All right, well, maybe we were just talking about it the wrong way, but this opened our eyes to what the new path might be or the, the adjustment we need to make. And so absolutely love the, the perspective of the, the experimentation. It does create um, the space and the safety to uh, quote unquote fail and even take that word out of it. It's, it. It gives you a bigger opportunity to learn. Right. Fail or pass, it's learned and you learn something differently and you learn what you're going to do next.
1: I love that. Yeah, that failing in that context is synonymous with learning, which is which is really cool. And so I guess during when you're piloting or experimenting or uh, kind of doing a proof of concept, how do you ensure that that information is getting used or that that piece of technology is getting used by your team during that kind of crucial time?
0: Yeah, that's that's a, a challenging one. And I think that's where uh a lot of the work needs to be invested up front right it's it's laying a lot of groundwork, because um what can happen is when you're doing your experiments and you have that information coming in if you have not already identified the conversations you're going to have and the the different ways that you can maybe implement it into the work that's currently taking place it can quickly come in and be placed to the side uh, because what happens with, with in our, within business in general, there are cycles of when things ramp up, um, when the environment has drastically changed, and you're in a pressure environment. And when pressure uh, builds, a lot of us default back to our typical way of working, yeah. which means yeah. if I'm going to default, I'm going to the things that I know, the things I'm already comfortable with, the thing that I already know how to look at and um, and make a recommendation from, Right. When you're under pressure, a lot of people are going to be willing to take the time to learn a new piece of information coming in or a new perspective or figuring out a new way of how to apply that information moving forward. And so that's where you need to invest the time up front. Um, Just as much as you work with your your, uh, partner on identifying solutions together, work with your team and say, hey, team, how do we think we can apply this? And when this comes in, what are we going to apply it to? And that's where I say involving people that are smarter than me, um, getting a perspective, getting other people to be involved. Who's going to be point for this? Maybe this data stream. So let's say whatever experiment you're running, you're going to have maybe three pieces of information, three distinct pieces of information coming from it. Just an example. Maybe appoint a lead to each one, and they can be the separate of making sure it lands, that it's used, and that they can give you feedback on it as well. Um, if you don't do that investment upfront, I think just your very question, um, by virtue of it, it can a lot of it can get lost and not leverage, and it, it can really lose its value.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with that. It's it's always going to be. You know, when when people are under immense amounts of time pressure or stress or you just have a lot on your to-do list, the last thing on the list is learning something new. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be, like, really prioritized. So I love that, like, very kind of practical tip of kind of ironing that out ahead of time. This is when we're going to talk about what we're going to talk about, you know, to make sure that it's part of the 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 day-to-day. Yeah.
0: And I, I think another thing with that is ironing it out, but still allowing flexibility, mm. because the more you learn about it, you might say, hey, when I first scoped this out, I thought this was going to be the best way to do it. But now that I've had more conversations or I've had more information come in, um, give yourself the, the leeway to be able to flex and change that plan. And so still invest up front, but also don't um, don't be beholden to it being strictly it has to be this or else. Um, Because then at that point, you've you've become very obsessed with that solution. You've said, okay, this is the way it's going to look. This is the way it has to come in. And this is the way we're going to assess it. And you've you've already started to cut off the possibilities, which is against experimenting, right? You want Mm -hmm. to understand the possibilities. You want to have guidance and you want to have a path, but you don't want to cut yourself off those possibilities. And so I think that's important as well. Invest the time up front develop clarity, but give yourself the freedom to make adjustments as you need to.
1: This feels like a general life lesson, like (laughs) make a plan and then be flexible because life happens, right?
0: Lessons hard learned. (laughs) <laughs> oh, everything I'm saying, I've I've had to go through it firsthand.
1: Totally. Turns out this is not limited to technology <laughs> assessment. This is just life lessons with Kari Campbell. I love it. <laughs> um so uh how has uh technology helped you and your teams get um better consumer understanding?
0: Yeah. Um wow. I can't even count the ways it's, and, and it really comes down to the questions we've had at the time, mm-hmm. right? And it's, it's really, what did we need to, to to learn or do differently? And so I think of uh, a time in, in a previous life where we were focusing a lot of the upfront, kind of that, that fuzzy upfront innovation learning. It's, um, you know, you don't have something fully developed yet. You're doing a lot of early prototypes. We're doing a lot of fast and quick um, iterations. And we believed in the power of um, transactional learning. So it wasn't about creating focus groups and getting people that you're paying to give you their opinion. It was about how do we create these physical prototypes and get them into the settings that consumers are actually going to make a decision. Right. And you can quickly see the value of I can pay 10 people to send a group. And tell me their opinions on a concept on a piece of paper, or I create a prototype, take it into the store where they would actually encounter this product and look to sell it, or you know simulate the selling process. But what happens is you have less control because you don't own or operate the, the context in which consumers are going to encounter that product. And so, what does that mean? Let's say I'm developing a new gadget, we'll we'll call it Widget X, right? (laughs) But Widget X is only sold through retailers. You don't have your own retail location. So you're subject to their availability. You're subjected to their store manager saying, yes, you can come in at this day at these times. You're subject to them telling you where exactly you can put your widgets to sell them. Mm -hmm. And so what we did is we focused on, okay, how can we use technology to remove that barrier? And spent the time investing in building a virtual reality infrastructure up front. And it was really something we learned from our sales team. Because a lot of sales teams are already using virtual reality to create self-sets and planograms. And they were using it to figure out, okay, where we would put our products? How do we sell sand with our, our customers? And we said, okay, that technology and create an infrastructure that we can now test early on these products with consumers or these concepts. Um, and how does that remove the restrictions well now i don't have to physically get product into five different stores and now i'm not just restricted to where our office is now i can conceivably do this in any uh state or city that simply has a screen and a computer that can run this technology so it expanded our reach it gave us a little bit more control over where we can create some context environments with consumers. for a process before we even got to creating um um, creating physical, um, prototypes. And so imagine being able to narrow, let's say, uh, a prototype of a package, even if we're moving quickly, if we had to make 60 packages, it might take maybe two people, three days to do this, right? Well, imagine if we narrowed it down from three choices down to one using this virtual reality technology. And oh, by the way, we're able to speak to people in five different cities to do this. Now we're investing our time and resources. We're still going to create the prototype, but we're more informed. We've been able to in this or in the in-context location, we have a, a better um, a better chance of being successful at getting the feedback we need from consumers. That's one in particular where looked at the technology from somewhere else said, how can we apply this to what we need here? And did a lot of experimentation to see how it can work and, and to prove it out.
1: VR has been a hot topic recently and I've I heard a conversation uh, just like a week ago where someone was talking about you know the desire to find a use case for VR or they had they had a use case but they felt like it was you know described it as being like five or ten years in the future and that's like a very tangible use case for VR that has already been implemented that's like I don't know maybe we're not five or 10 years away from from applications of that tech?
0: Yeah, I, I don't think we are. I, I think we're a lot closer to that. Mm-hmm. I think what the challenge is, is that we, we have to be willing, and like I said, that growth mindset. Yeah, We need to be willing to say, okay, this is what I've known previously, and this has worked for me previously. Um, how do I validate this virtual reality as being as useful but it doesn't have to be as useful for the same thing. It's going to have its advantages and disadvantages. And it goes and then from there you just take it back to any of your fundamentals for doing insights risk to rigor. Figure out what your risk to rigor is and if if the rigor doesn't have to be ultra high or maybe the risk is very low and you know that the technology lends itself better to the, the question you're trying to answer or the problem you're trying to solve um try it everything doesn't have to be a one-to-one i don't there are a lot of times where i may not need that virtual reality outcome to be the exact same as what it would be for a physical or a more traditional method like understand the advantages and disadvantages of each one and apply appropriately and i I think that can go um a a very long way with, with that process
1: yeah Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I feel like what you were saying before about fixed mindset versus growth mindset, that's just a a challenge maybe we have in our industry a little bit of, you know, and maybe some of it is what you were saying about just being pressured and and being stressed, and it's a lot to learn something new. It's a lot to shift that mindset into a new way of thinking when what we've been doing for so long is so comfortable and known. but what you just said about like risk and rigor, can you talk more about that? I, I don't think I've heard it described that way before.
0: Yeah, um, risk and rigor is just a, a very helpful, at least I found a, a very helpful framework and it's it's I did not come up with it. It was the one that was shared with me early in my career and it it became a very good framework for me to look at things. But what is the risk that's going to come from this decision you're going to make or this information you're going to learn? And that's to help you understand the level of rigor that's going to be needed for the learning journey you're getting ready to take, right? So what does that look like? Um, the risk of rigor, it can be, you know, what we're going to deploy, let's say $5 million in capital to create a new line, because we want to introduce this new packaging for this product. Pretty high risk if you get it wrong. So you want to be as rigorous as possible. And rigorous does not mean it has to be the thing that's you're tried and true. Um, you definitely want to have that in there, but you can still complement it with new technologies and new path of learning. But you're probably going to have multiple touch points and it's, it's going to be a higher level of rigor. You're going to throw a little bit more behind it hmm. versus, you know what, we're not going to have to create a new manufacturing line. We're not going to deploy any capital. Um, this is something where we're willing to experiment with. If we don't get this right, we, we might delay our next step by three months. Mm-hmm. But materially, it's not going to cost us much from a budget standpoint. It's not really uh, deferring human resources towards anything else. And so you may not need to have you know, that, that large learning plan that has a lot of rigor behind it. You can really go strongly into that experimentation mode and say, yep, you know, we got this wrong, what are we gonna move to next? What's gonna be the pivot next, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of people might frame it up in terms of quality versus quant, which you can make that leap, but I don't think that's necessarily the the right way to think about it, but it really is just saying, okay, what's the risk if we don't get the learning right on this? Mm -hmm. And if it's gonna be extremely high risk, which in in a lot of environments, it's looking at um, financial, or it can be in some cases, it could be safety, to your consumer, right? Anytime you're talking about safety for consumer, that's high risk. So you need to be as rigorous as possible with that. Um, but though there are, it's, it's a good framework to help you think about, okay, what's the next step I'm going to take and to what level of, um, of rigor do we need to employ with this?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, really interesting. And so I imagine that on a day-to-day, you have a whole laundry list of things that kind of, span the whole spectrum of risk right some that some things that are very high risk and require a lot of rigor as you mentioned and some things that aren't so how do you prioritize um and you know fit in that kind of technology assessment with some of those maybe low, lower risk um uh challenges that are in front of you and and balance that with the things that need a lot more focus
0: yeah um, you know, I think, I think then you're, you're getting into a bit of that prioritization conversation. It's, uh, the risk of rigor is a, is a nice way to frame that up, but then you just need to look at the priorities of uh, your business. You need to look at the priorities of your team and realistically, what can my team handle and take on right now? Mm-hmm. Um, I think you need to look at what's going to move, uh, the needle. And, and for me, that's a, a principle I first learned um, my first semester in business school. And I I remember somebody describing it to us as that first semester is really meant to break you Mm -hmm. and build you. Then you're going to get built back up. And what what it's going to teach you is that a lot of people that, um, were maybe find themselves in that situation and environment, they were used to being able to do everything very good all the time you weren't good at just letting things go because you found a way to just really achieve and do things at a high level consistently. And the principle was, as you continue to move on your career and move up, you have to get comfortable at learning to let some things go. And you have to get really good at identifying what things are gonna move the needle the most, what things are not, and how do I let that fall to the wayside, so to speak, or maybe shift it to uh, another space or area that can look after it. I think the same thing applies here. It's really allowing yourself to step back, um, develop, and understand your own markers for whatever your team or your environment, your company is, and say, okay, what are going to be my key indicators of what are going to be the priority things here? What what things are going to be my north star, so to speak, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have to constantly have that conversation. Okay, which one of these is going to have the biggest impact right away? And, but you still have to bounce that out of. Okay, what's what's what do I have to give up tomorrow on orange satisfies today and vice versa. So it's all about balance all the way around. And so I, I think the the best thing I found for me is I find my markers that are going to be critical for my team, for, for I'm working in in the company. Um, then I get very realistic about all the different things that I can control versus what I cannot control and then you're just having a conversation. Okay, what's, what can we tackle today? And okay, we can tackle it today. How much value is that gonna add? How much is that gonna move the needle? And then you do that for each thing and then what you'll be able to see hope. My team can do these five things this week, but these two, these are gonna make real impact and they're gonna bring real value. So how do we maybe deprioritize these three things? Or how do we have conversations and talk about is there a way for these three things to be done in a more valuable way? Mm-hmm. And if not, you find a way to deprioritize them. And then you shift your, your time and resources to those things that are going to have the biggest value add and the biggest impact um, for, for the entire environment.
1: Yeah. I love that idea of like, you know, either deprioritize something that's not going to add a lot of value or find a way to make it more valuable. Maybe- for it that's a really interesting perspective um but yeah that prioritization conversation is i think just a challenge for everybody across the board i i tend to i use i'm a note taker i like i write down physical notes in a notebook um it drives some people crazy but this is how i operate i have to write it down (laughs) but i i prioritize using a four quadrants on a scale of importance and urgency um again i didn't make that up somebody i read it somewhere and it works really well for me. But I do find that the urgent stuff, you know, the the things that people need right now or whatever, and just the physical act of writing it down that this is urgent, but it's not important. There are other things that are urgent and important based on the value that they're going to contribute to the business. And like, yeah, just being able to kind of note that down is really helpful in distinguishing between things that are, for me, just urgent, but not necessarily gonna you know, provide that value. But I'm gonna take that with me of like, we'll find a way to make it more valuable then.
0: Yeah, and I think that's in, in incredibly important what you said is that urgency part,
1: mm-hmm.
0: because when we're in in these roles and working with customer consumer insights, we're partners, we're enablers, um but as we have people coming to us with their problems or things they want to learn depending on who's coming from their thing is always urgent right right and so we have to apply that filter like you said is step back for a moment write it down look at the markers as I was saying before understand the markers for your business for your team for your company and try to make that assessment okay yep We have five people that are partners and all five of them are coming with you know maybe different requests and things that for them it's very urgent because that's their focus but how do i look across and say okay this one's going to have the biggest impact add the most value and this is where i think we should be shifting our our time and resources right now so you never want to um you, you want to make sure you do your due diligence because it's it's tough to deprioritize because for somebody on the other end that was very urgent for them right right? and i think it it also goes back to um, one of the things i said earlier is asking the right questions Mm -hmm. getting really good at asking questions and and understanding i think to your point is it urgent versus important Mm -hmm. and i think sometimes when they encounter somebody who's willing to have that conversation with them you can sometimes help your partners understand as well You know yes it's it's urgent but not for the right reasons and so when you build that rapport and you build that trust um sometimes the 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 prioritization can happen that way as well it's just really having the right conversation with people
1: yeah totally because you can't just tell someone you've deprioritized the thing that was most urgent for them right (laughs) you know you got to get them to understand why you know what is it that um you know is sort of taking place and and most of the, i mean because i can relate to that everything you just said as a marketer you know i have so many partners in the business and i'd love to be able to do all the things all the time but <laughs> you know the team is the team and you know there's only so much we can get done in a day and but having that rapport and that collaboration that communication to say hey you know i would have loved to have get this for you this week, it's probably gonna be next week. And here's why, like people yeah. get it, you know, we're all human beings, people understand. Um, but like you said, asking the right questions and having the right information and communicating that back is so crucial.
0: Yeah, or it can be, you know, it can be that conversation of how could we? You know, I can't do it with what I have available now, but to the point of technology, it might be okay, how could we maybe do this differently where it's taking maybe less time or less resources Mm-hmm. Is there a technology that can help us that? And then that can start the path a lot of times where I've gone looking for new technologies. It's because found found ourselves and my team found ourselves in that 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 same situation conversation. Say, you know what? The way we're currently set up or structured or or whatever it may be, we can't. But you know what? Maybe there's a technology out there that can help us with this. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a technology that can enable this so we can look at it differently. Um, and that then becomes a, a different experimentation and a, a different path of, of learning. And so it's, like I said, it's have that conversation, asking the right questions. And you'd be surprised sometimes you develop the need for a, a new technology to be looked for or or piloted against or experimented with.
1: Yeah. And I guess if you're then aligning that experiment with something that actually is really important to the business, it helps to prioritize that experimentation also.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And then you have another you have another partner in what you're trying to do, right? So it's no longer um, you saying, you know, I, I have a hunch and here's how I think it can be applied. and I think you do X, Y, Z. Now you have a, a, another stakeholder that's bought in and say, yes. And if you can do this, I have something that you can pilot this or you can experiment it with. Um, and sometimes it may come in the form of I'll give you some good thinking on this or something for my team. Sometimes it might be financial support um, sometimes it might be introducing you to uh, maybe other paths and, and people to involve so it's uh I think the conversations could go a very long way
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. well, this has been a great conversation. I can't thank you enough for for coming on the show today. Oh
0: thank you I. I uh, love talking about any and everything around consumer insights and experimenting and and things of that nature. So this was a a nice, uh, nice little getaway for me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I really appreciate that. This has been a lot of fun. Um, Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please rate and review us on your favorite network. And don't forget to share the show with your friends. In the next episode, I will be joined by Elizabeth Trowinski from the newly rebranded Wreck-It.